0: You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. All right, so up until this point, we've been walking through Colossians. We've made it through chapter one, chapter two, uh, where we've talked about how Christ is the center of all things. And uh, we find ourselves in the, almost the very bottom of this section here where we've started to come around the turn here where we are alive in Christ where no, no one is to disqualify us or to judge you in these things and we're coming around where now we are putting on the new self and walking in new life uh, almost like a springtime where things have been changing. The winter is gone, the spring is here. And yet, um, as we've been focusing, uh, uh, the, the focus of this whole book has been on this very simple and yet so important concept is that Christ is the center, center of all things. He is the center of which, by which we find our very life. We are to walk in him. In fact, this passage mentions that Christ, who is your life, we have no life apart from Christ. And so... This part is, is building this case of who we are, our foundation and our identity and then how we walk that out every day. How we operate on a daily basis, how we live in the body of flesh in which we have and yet experience and live out our identity in Christ, that we are in Christ and we are to walk in Him. The passage says that we're rooted and grounded in Him. Our foundation is Him, He is sufficient to the point where we don't need to add anything to him. And when we do, when we add, we we end up taking away. And so we're not to, as last week said, don't let legalists judge you. Don't let mystics disqualify you. Walk in Christ for adding all these regulations and laws and experiences. These things are mere shadows of the true substance, which is Christ. Substance is Christ. And ultimately, these shadows don't do anything to stop the indulgence of the flesh. They ultimately are, have, they, they have a limit. And so we're left kind of in the end of chapter 2, asking to ourselves, which we hinted at last week, but asking ourselves, so then how is it one stops the indulgence of the flesh? How is it that we can encounter sin in our lives? What manner in life is this? How, how, is, how, do, how do we go about this? For this is something that is you no know, doubt clear for us all, that all of us want this in, in a sense. We, we want change. We, we want transformation. And so this is something that, that Paul starts laying out, almost a, a pathway to change. For I think that's something that unites Christian believers, true believers, that they desire inwardly change. And so Paul lays out a, a formation, a, a transformation and how ourselves are this battle that wars and, uh, with ourself and with and our spirit. And, he, and yet it is, we find that it is the Holy Spirit that, that Lars mentioned, the Holy Spirit within us that changes us. The process, and you'll often hear in sports, they'll say, trust the process, trust the process. And I feel like in some ways that's, that's this idea of trusting the process of what God is doing within us and how we are growing in likeness of Christ, in, in Christ-likeness, you could say. So to begin, I want to look at this verse of the end here, Colossians 3.11. I'm going to look at this just to start. Then we're going to kind of do a little bit of an intro, and then um, we'll walk through the passage. Uh, the very beginning in Colossians 3.11, so kind of the end here to begin with. Verse 11 says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. It's a beautiful verse, Colossians 3.11. It's kind of setting for us the scene, and I think I, I want to begin there. I want to begin that we are all finding ourselves together as one, the same level playing field. Is this not what he just got done making sure we Remember? That we are not fighting ourselves in different spiritual levels that we can look down upon one another and judge other people and disqualify others through what we have experienced. And so he's saying, remember, you are all one in Christ. No matter your background, rich or poor, no matter your skin color, black or white, no matter what language you speak, what culture you come from, what you are doing for a job or not doing for a job, whether you could be viewed as as a barbarian in society or as a Scythian. It's not a familiar term that we would use, but as I looked it up, they said that uh, Josephus, an ancient church historian, said the word Scythian was used for people who were the most barbaric of the barbarians. (laughs) They were viewed as um, simply slightly higher than an average beast, they said. People that were considered the low life, barbaric, poor outcasts of society find themselves joining together with people who are Greeks, who are enlightened, or maybe well off. Those who are circumcised in the flesh, they are Jewishly from a, they have a Jewish heritage. And those who are the uncircumcised, they have the Gentile heritage. Those who view themselves as slaves, as servants, and yet those who are free, we find ourselves in the same. Team, the same playing field, the same position. For we come, and in Christ there is no partiality, for Christ is all and He is in all. So we begin there. We begin there together as we are all growing up in Christ, maturing in Christ's likeness. We find ourselves with a, a similar state of nature, we find ourselves in a similar place. We have been created. Sin has infected the world, and yet there is a Savior who has come to rescue and redeem us from that, and we await his return one day. And so what is it that we do? How is it that we live in the here and now? What does life look like for you and me? And the cool thing about it, Paul is reminding us, life is gonna look the same for us all. We are all human beings needing Jesus Christ as our Savior and the Holy Spirit to transform us into his likeness. We're all, every one of us, we're all there. That's where we begin. And so we introduce this message here, this idea as we begin on that field, that playing field. And we find ourselves encountering in chapter three a couple of concepts that revolve around uh, kind of the title today I used is Vice Versa. Uh, vice versa, this concept of, of this Latin term for the other way around where something can be kind of reversed. For in this passage there are several things that kind of are reversals or you can see them the other way around or they are used to express something that can be seen the other way around or something that is not to be done the other way around and so this vice versa. But it also puts in our mind uh, this passage has two main sections of vices and so this week we're going we're gonna to be looking, just briefly, we won't be going through each one, but looking at the two sections of vices that Paul is saying to put off. Next week we're going to be looking at the virtues, where, where Paul is saying put on love and these things. And so this week he has some of the, not negative in a way, but in a sense you could say that, negative putting off and yet putting on and being renewed. This is what Paul is building for us, uh, this, this idea and so this idea of vice versa. There's a phrase that reminded me of this. Um, there's an ancient, not ancient. That's it, I mean, it seems ancient. His name is John Owen. He was in, in the 1600s, which to us today seems ancient. Uh, but when you read the Word of God, that's not very ancient at all. Uh, but he was a Puritan. He was an English theologian, and uh, he was viewed as maybe maybe the greatest theological mind to ever be to ever come from England. Uh, Some would rival him in the likes of the American Jonathan Edwards as the greatest theological minds in some of these uh, streams of Christianity. And he wrote uh, a a treatise or a book on the mortification of sin and temptation, he wrote. It's a fantastic book. Um, It's deep. It's rich. It's one of the more difficult books to read uh, for John Owen. It's very deep. But he's known for, uh, probably very well known for a phrase. Maybe you've seen it. In fact, I've seen people make like T-shirts out of this. I don't know if it really fits well, but it it says his phrase is from this book On the Mortification of Sin and Temptation. John Owen wrote in the 1600s and he said, he said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And in that phrase and in that way, there's a simple statement there that just reminds me where he builds off that. Be killing sin or sin be killing you. He says, do you mortify? Do you mortify? Uh, that word is, is found there in Colossians 3 verse 5, put to death. The word, even if you have, I think maybe in the KJV, I'm not positive, it might use the word mortify or put to death. And so he says, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work to be always at it while you live? Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. This is the mindset of walking in the spirit and be killing the sin that we are to put off as we put on and we are renewed. This is the, what this passage is teaching us. And so he, he writes and says this indwelling sin abides while we are in this world as we find ourselves all in this world, in this field today. And therefore it must always be mortified until the Lord returns. And yet it is not a mortification or a putting to death that is hopeless and fruitless that we throw up our arms without uh, any of the equipment to do such, but rather the Bible says that we're to put on the whole armor of God, that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Take on the sword of the Spirit, put on the belt of truth and the helmet of salvation and fight the good fight. It's not the language of the New Testament. Colossians 3 has a similar language here. Put to death, almost as if it's a war, it's a fight, it's a battle. Put to death what is earthly among you. Rather, this is, as John Owen and others would write, this is the duty of every Christian. Every believer in Christ, we have a duty to mortify our members, to put sin to death. Jesus refers to things like this in the New Testament when he speaks in, in the Gospels of, of plucking out your eye. You know, these very aggressive, almost... Um, Extreme statements of of getting ready it'd be re- better for you to pluck out your eye than for you to sin through your vision these things he speaks of uh, spirituality like this sense of 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 radically amputating these aspects of sin putting them off uh, Paul talked about in Colossians 2 of the circumcision of Christ that we readily admitted was a strange statement to us As it's so uncommon to think these things through in this manner, but in a Jewish and Gentile context, this would have been ready understood and this is the the putting off, the removal. And so we fight with an effectiveness, with an active force that has and can claim victory. And yet the struggle against sin is something that we all are readily familiar with. And this is a passage that speaks to every single one of us for we know what this feels like, what it is like. And so we we walk seeking, uh, seeking truth, seeking understanding as to how it is we live the Christian life day after day, walking in the spirit so we may not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So uh, there's an illustration that I'm going to be using a variety of times here to describe what we're looking at, especially the concept that I I see very often in this passage, the concepts of putting off and putting on. You'll see this in Ephesians 4 uh, and other passages in Philippians that speak in a similar manner. There's an illustration that I read in uh, Mark Maynell's book. He writes this picture and he gives an illustration of a seesaw, of a seesaw. And I found it very helpful for me and I hope it will be for you the seesaw approach that Paul often writes. In Paul's writing, when you read and you read the New Testament as we study in Colossians, we're going to often find that Paul likes seesaws. My daughter loves seesaws. She actually asked me to build her a seesaw the other day, and she doesn't know who her daddy is. He's he not very good at building anything. I'm really good with Legos. So I was like, well, we'll work on that one, but um, we'll see. Uh, but the, the seesaw desire there, this idea of it goes up and down, up and down, where Paul will often focus heavily on one aspect of our salvation, and our identity in Christ. And then in the next sentence, he goes down on the seesaw and focuses on the imperative commands as to how to live out that identity. The seesaw of uh, John Owen and other uh, formed writers would say in the words of mortification, and a very difficult word to say, vivification. I said it right, okay. This mortification of the seesaw that we put off and put to death And then in the next sentence, it puts on the vivification, uh, that vivi is the life within us. It is a word that describes a a sensing of giving life to something. You plug in your phone and you give vivification to it. You are giving it life again as it is charged up. And so it is the putting off and it is the putting on. And so often I think what we try to do is we try to focus on one or the other and yet Paul in his writings is so often reminding of that, that, that the Christian life is so often like a seesaw. It goes back and forth. Wayne Grudem writes of sanctification which is really kind of in a sense this mortification and the vivification as we are growing in Christ as we are being sanctified and as Colossians 3 verse 10 says that we are being renewed in knowledge of the image of his creator. This seesaw approach can be seen through the word sanctification. Wade Grudem says it's the application of redemption, like redemption applied to you, which is a progressive work of God and believers that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. This gets really practical, does it not? Where you have in one seesaw goes down where Paul describes our justification. I know these are big theological terms and I hope uh, the five and six-year-olds, I'll test them later on these, right? The justification, the legal standing, our identity in Christ that once for all time God's work has been accomplished. We are perfect in him and we are the same for all, the justification. And he says that we have been risen with Christ in Colossians 3.1. We are to seek the things above. This is at our life is justified and hidden with Christ. Yet he doesn't stop there and he goes down on on the other side of the seesaw and describes to us sanctification and the renewing of this work and the putting off and the putting on work that we all must cooperate with the spirit in. It is, the sanctification is different in the sense that it is an internal condition and it's continuous throughout this life and we cooperate and we're not perfect in this life. There's greater in some than others as we are maturing and growing up in him and it's not complete until God returns the glorification of our bodies when he returns and we long for that day. That is our living hope for it is Christ in you, the hope of glory that we long for and so Paul seems to rock between these two statements so often, Christian identity, who we are because of what Christ has done and Christian lifestyle. How we should live in light of what Christ has done. For our lifestyle matters. And yet our identity matters. So much of the majority of the New Testament is filled with, with the imperative commands. We even looked at this a couple of weeks that where, where the New Testament is commanding and giving an imperative, do this, do that, that is built around our sanctification. It is built around giving instructions for Christians to equip them to know how to live, to know how to put off and wage war with sin, and yet to then walk in the Spirit and to live according to the Spirit. And to walk in him and so we see this idea of we are, we, we, we walk in this way. As, as he said in Colossians 2, walk in him, rooted and built up in him. So this, this uh, Christian identity, Christian lifestyle, these ways of looking at it. Our position in Christ as who we are that never changes. And our sanctification which is the progressive growth that we have in Christ. As we grow into Christ likeness. As who I am today is not who I will be in 20 years. The, pro- the process of sanctification of the spirit works within me is held within distinction in this concept of, of this already in God's kingdom and yet not yet completely fulfilled. We are already walking in the kingdom of God for Jesus is our king and yet, not yet is it fully consummated. You could describe it like the kingdom has been inaugurated by Christ on the cross and yet we await for the full consummation of that kingdom upon his return. For he has not restored the earth to its former glory. For he says He when he returns, uh, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And for our bodies still waste away. And as we long for holy, perfect perfection within our flesh, we know that that won't happen until the Lord returns and makes us like himself like he was upon his resurrected form, we too will receive restored new bodies, the taste of which and the likes of which our, long, our loved ones who've gone before us are already beginning to taste the first fruits of those glories, of Mark, right now in the presence of our Savior, breathing fresh air, right? For to be away from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so in Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, it says in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So when Christ appears, we too, since we are in Christ, will appear with him in glory. And so until that day, there is this already saved in Christ and yet not yet complete and finished. But we walk with our living hope in faith and in the power of the resurrection that we long for and look forward to. Philippians three twelve reminds us of these things. Not that I have already obtained this or that I am already perfect, but I press on. I continue to put off, put on, and be renewed in the spirit. I press on to make it my own. Because, why? Christ Jesus has made me his own. Do, do you see that, that, that seesaw? I, I am Christ Jesus. He has made me his own. It's my identity. And the seesaw goes down, but I press on to continue to make it my own. It's this dual aspect that, that we find in the tension. And I think at times, even myself as a Christian pastor, I want to remove all tension. I want to explain it clearly and perfectly all the time and give you a nice one-sentence answer to everything in the world. And I find myself, the more and the longer I pastor, that I, I have to be okay with the mysteries of the gospel, and the tensions that we hold between a sovereign and all-powerful God and yet the, the power in which we have a will to work and to make decisions here in this life. We understand that there are tensions here within scripture and I believe they are written into there by Paul, by the spirit of God as illuminates to us, to teach us uh, and to help us walk in those tensions. First Thessalonians 4, 3 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. He says, what is the will of God? right now for you, your sanctification. You would grow in Christ-likeness. That today would be a moment where you are maturing in Christ right now as you choose not to allow your mind to drift to all the things and the exciting things of Trunk or Treat because I know it's coming, it's exciting. But you allow yourselves to simply grow right now in Christ as the word of God is being poured out upon you You are growing richly in Christ because of your choice to choose to let that engrafted word of God take root within you. But the spirit is also simultaneously working within you right now to translate in so many ways my frail attempts to teach you the scripture. He's translating that and implanting it within your heart so that it would be rooted and build you up so that we would be as Corinthians says, transformed from one shade of glory to another as we are crafting and as we are being crafted as we are like a vessel who's being formed uh, we are being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator we are becoming like him so we are set free from sin and we are now slaves of righteousness and we walk in this identity each day And God is our savior. God is our Lord. We follow him and we seek to be like him. And so we look through this passage as I've given kind of a summary of the whole passage in a sense. I'm gonna just briefly kind of run through some of the major ideas as we've already kind of summarized them all. But we look at the very beginning, Colossians 3, verse one and two. Colossians 3, verse one and two remind us to look up. And I think even for the kiddos, we can understand that concept today. We can look up. Uh, For so often, he says that in life we tend to look down and focus on what is earthly. But he reminds us let us keep our mindset focused on the things above. If then you have been raised with Christ, if that is a fact in your life, you can, in a sense, raise your hand. You have been raised with Christ. So now, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Hey, set your minds. Set your minds. Keep your focus. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Now, this can be somewhat confusing, and I think this can even be tempting for us to to take two radical swings here, for when we see in our minds, heaven is good, earth is bad. We can often get into this mindset that I think can be a little bit dangerous unless we continue to think this through, that all of earthly things are bad, flesh, physical is wrong, and the spiritual is all that is good that in this life. And so I think what we can do is we can tempted to be falling we could fall into almost kind of like a Buddhist mentality of a transcendent spiritual force above all, that the more we remove ourselves from the thinking about the physical, the more we become spiritual and float in the clouds, right? Has God totally forsaken the physical? Certainly not. He says he's gonna come and redeem your body. In fact, when he was resurrected, he had a physical body. And so there's a sense of the spiritual and the physical meeting together as heaven and earth join in the person of Jesus Christ in the resurrected form, the first fruits of our resurrection. So we long for that one day when God will make physical and spiritual together again as he's done that even within you in this very moment. And so he's not saying this kind of spiritual escapism. So this concept of setting your minds on things above is not just like escape the world, Right? We mention it all the time. I've got my get out of hell free card. Therefore, I just forget the world. Who cares? It's all going to burn. Uh, don't, give, don't give any effort in trying to transform your community. Uh, don't put any effort in trying to uh, nurture a garden or grow something that beautifies the world. Uh, don't put any time in trying to help your school board or increase uh, uh, the nation or stand for what's right in this country. Don't worry about all that. Just escape up into heaven, right? Is, is that a proper mode of Christianity? Is that a proper way to live? I think that's often what we can draw from this. Well, set my minds on things above and forget everything else. It's not exactly what he's saying. He's not saying bury your nose in romance fiction so you forget the anxieties of life, or or binge-watch Netflix until you're blue in the face or whatever, right? Uh, To escape the problems of your life. He's not saying just forget about the situations that you're in, but he's he is saying that you have a new destination. You you have a new place in where you are headed. As a Christian, you take on a new identity. You have a new destination. You have a new address. If I were to ask you, you know, where are you from? where did you grow up? Especially if you moved to this area and you weren't from here and someone asks you where you're from, you, you have to maybe quickly say, oh, where am I? From? Oh, I'm from here now, but I was from, and you start describing the different places you lived. And so, um, for, for those of us, for s- some of you who have, who have escaped, you know, you don't live in the same town you grew up in, you know, or like me, I just built a house in the same town I grew up in, right? We all have that struggle where I'm going to escape and here I am, right, you know? So where where are you from? Well, I'm from right here, you know? <laughs> but the, the same concept, you, you understand what we're saying, this idea, well, where are you from? Well, as a Christian, when, when we are asked that, we have a new address, I have a new destination, I have a new direction, I have a new value system, I have a new king, And I am a new creation. I put on a whole new set of clothes. I have a new self that I put on, as the passage says. And we have a value system that is an eternal mindset. For the present sufferings of this life pale in comparison to the eternal nature of what we long for, our heavenly home. And that allows us to be rooted and grounded in a world that is only worried about the physical and the temporal. Everything is freak out time all the time because there's nothing after life. This is it. We run around like Chicken Little like ah, the sky is falling because there's no, nothing after life. This is all we have. And so as a Christian, we say, well, where are you from? I got a new address, man. I got, a, I got a totally new way of looking at life. You had a totally new way of living in life. And so I'm not really from around here. And that might be a good question for you as to get asked every now and then, maybe in your workplace, that someone almost in a way asks you, you're not really from around here, are you? And in a spiritual way, they're asking, there's something different about you. You, d- you don't seem to get so worried about the things that are going on. You cast your anxieties on him for he cares for you. You seem to have something else going on in there. You seem to embody Matthew Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. C.S. Lewis put it this way. You seek first things first. You set your minds on that and you get second things thrown in. He says aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. (laughs) Heaven's perspective changes everything. And so heaven's perspective, this concept that that we are headed that way, that our destination is that way, is this sense of keep our eyes, fix your eyes on Jesus, set your mind on things that are above, not on the earth. You have been set free from those lists of vices, sexual immorality, impurity, passion. Why is it that you continue to dwell in what you were, walk in who you are? Romans 6.22 says, And now that you have been set free from sin and you have become a slave of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. The fruit of the spirit that we lead, this leads to our spiritual sanctification and its end is eternal life, is eternal life. This is made possible because of the foundations that have been laid. He says that we are in this passage, the first four verses we're risen in Christ. This is the keystone to our faith. You can imagine a keystone, an archway. When I was in Copan, Honduras, there's a, an archway that I still have a picture of. And it's a beautiful stone arch that they've reconstructed that the Mayans put in. And there's a keystone, very similar to what the Roman architectural is known for, a keystone stone, and maybe you're familiar with that. A stone in the middle that holds up the entire archway. It's a beautiful piece of engineering. You remove that keystone, and everything comes crumbling down. The keystone of our faith, many would say, is the cross, which is accurate, but you could say the cross with the resurrection of the light. For a dead Savior is not much of a Savior, but a living one is a whole different story. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, and so he does not just attribute that to something that is in Christ, but rather attributes it to you. Colossians 3, verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ. Wow. Seek the things that are above Seek the things that are in your new destination. It's an all-encompassing thing too. For it is literally Christ is your very breath in your lungs. In a way, he, he says it this way. For you have died and yet you're risen and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, verse 4, who is your life? It's just like, it's so simple. Christ, who is your life? That is li- you know like what's your life what what what's about your life what do you do what are your hobbies what do you do? Christ Christ is my life man It's my life It is all I have he is everything Christ is the center we see this again He is our hope of glory We wait for his glorious appearing, but we wait, as one commentator wrote in this way, for in verse four, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There is a sense in this verse that gives us an idea of waiting, that we await for him to appear in glory. But it's not like we've experienced the last two days, rainy day waiting. Have you guys had this waiting for Christ? Have you ever had some rainy days? And recently, uh, it's almost as if I can see my kids, like in these really rainy days we've had, they, it's like they have their head against the window pane, right? <laughs> and they're just with the window pane and they're just staring out into the tumult of rain coming down, right? And it's just a frustration. And it's just a why won't it stop raining, right? When will it stop raining? That's what it's felt like this summer here. It's a rainy day waiting where you're just sitting and hoping for the rain to stop. And you aren't doing anything but look out at the rain that you're hoping to stop. Versus a concept of Christian waiting, which is not a rainy day waiting, staring out into the the darkness, but rather a, a house guest waiting, one author says, a house guest waiting. Uh, we have small groups on Thursdays, and so, of course, our house is always perfectly clean, and uh, it's always wonderful, and, uh, you know, three kids under the age of five, we never do any cleaning up. We just welcome everyone into our home, you know? No. In fact, you, you know what it's like sometimes. You, you're running around like a crazy person trying to put stuff away and, and uh, shove things into the, the closet so nobody sees, and you're like, whoops, you shoved your own kid in there, so you pull the kid back out, and you're, you're throwing stuff away, you are put stuff in the trash, and, and then you come in and you're like, hello, welcome everyone, look at us, we're a perfect house. Okay, no. Maybe we're the only one you know um, But this house guest waiting is a concept that where you're cleaning, you're putting things away, you're lighting a candle, you are preparing your life to receive the guests that you're longing for. You have a hope for their friends who are coming. And so you are preparing to receive them. This is the Christian life that we are living, preparing our lives and our hearts to receive the hope of glory, Jesus Christ, upon his return. So we're cleaning, we're doing food, we're doing laundry, we're doing our active. We are in Christ, we are not passive. Christ is in us. The power of the Holy Spirit is transforming us every day. Second Corinthians three eighteen and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is the sanctification process of every Christian as we wait. We are we are living in him, longing for him, waiting for him. And then we see kind of towards the end, these last couple verses can be summarized in these concepts of putting to death the things below. Uh, and then this, really in a sense, almost this changing of our clothes. And then, and then we'll be closed here. But this idea of putting to death, this mortifying our members, uh, killing it, uh, mortify this way of saying be killing sin or, or sin will be killing you. If you have no care or no desire for any of the sin that's in your life, uh, John and others would say that you're proving that there is no life within you for you are already dead in trespasses and sins. But God has made us alive. And so it is in our active desire to, to be contrary to that flesh that we demonstrate our life in Christ. It is the very nature that we desire to wage war with the flesh that we prove that we are actually alive. And to put death, these two sets of vices, these vice verses, right? There's vices in verse 5 and then in verse uh, 7, these five things. One is more of a sexual inward desire and lust and the other one is more of an outward anger and verbal um, challenge at others. It's almost like it resides within and comes out externally. Then inward and outward it is an all encompassing set of vices. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness and then it says covetousness or greed which is idolatry. It all goes back to idolatry and who it is we're worshiping. And so we're reminded to not present our members as Romans 6 would to instruments of unrighteousness but to present them as instruments of righteousness for sin has no longer dominion over us. We have been set free from the chains and the bondages of that so that we can now walk in the spirit. Romans 8.13 If you live according to the flesh you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And this verse is so uncomforting to me because maybe you have felt as if I've said, hey, just put to death, put to death, put on, put on. But how is it by what power? Uh, Paul's already reminded us in Colossians 2. For this I toil, struggling with all whose energy, his energy, that he powerfully works within me. His energy in Romans eight thirteen: For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit not that awesome? By what power? How do, how do I put off the flesh? How do I walk? How do I live in righteousness? How do, I do, how do I do any of this? By the Spirit. By the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. Colossians 2, 6, walk in Him. Walk in Him. This is our lifestyle controlled and mastered by the Spirit instead of a lifestyle controlled and mastered by sin. And so in the picture of, you could say, baptism or changing our clothes, Paul is telling us to change your clothes. As, as was pictured in baptism, the going into the water, dying and coming out and walking in newness of life, a change of clothes happens where you're putting off the sin and you're putting on the new, which is then being renewed each and every day in the Holy Spirit and His power. We put on robes of righteousness, the Word says, and this is a lifelong pursuit the struggle against the vices of sin remain our entire earthly life but the process of sanctification grows within us each and every day and that is a powerful way for us to recognize the unity that we all have in this in this fight where did we begin the message we began together did we not no barbarian scythian slave or free we all find ourselves in the same position And we're all fighting sin daily. We're all working together. And yet it's designed that we do this as a community. A people who are open and authentic with the struggles that they have in life. Not those who are too afraid to admit where they might have faults or shortcomings. But a people who are open and together and honest and authentic and willing to admit that there are times when they don't have it all together and willing to be okay with not being okay. I want a church that's that way. That we're honest with each other. And we need one another. And yet we don't just say, hey, brother, hope you're doing all right. And see you later. But rather we come together and we bear one another's burdens. And we walk together through these things. And we recognize that the Holy Spirit is renewing us all. And driving us all together. The great shepherd of our souls. And so we walk in the renewing power of the scripture. Of of the spirit. And through the knowledge of the scripture. For it says in verse 10, we put off the new self, which is being renewed in what? Knowledge. Our mindset set on things above after the image of its creator. We're being renewed. The seesaw of the Christian life we put on Christ. We put off the sin. This is a daily activity, a daily activity, A daily thing. We come down on the seesaw because Christ is all and in all. We are holy and beloved by God, he's about to say in the next verses. For verse 12, we didn't read it today, but it's kind of a foretaste of what we're going to do next week. Verse 12 is the virtues. For he says, put off these things, for we're unified as a body together. We're being renewed in knowledge after the image. And then verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones holy, you're set apart, beloved, you're loved by God, compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint, another, forgiving one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ dwell in your hearts. Actually, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do, everything this week, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, for we together can give thanks to God the Father through him. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the truth that you've spoken to us. And maybe there is much of which that I fully don't understand and grasp. I pray, God, that your spirit would communicate the truth that's found in your word today. Even when I don't know the best way to communicate it, Lord, I pray that you would help those here to understand and search the scriptures for themselves and to study out on their own. The Lord, to be hungry for your truth and your word. And, Lord, that we would be a people that walks together because Christ is all and in all. You are with us, Lord, and you are in us you are making us like yourself god we join in arms together today as we support one another in this process and we praise you for it god for we can smile today knowing that who we are today is not who we're going to be tomorrow but we're going to follow you and your spirit is going to make us new god thank you for giving us salvation and you are great you are worthy to be praised you are the breath in our lungs as we've even said And God, we long for the hope of glory, your return, and God, help us to wait for you every day, preparing our hearts to receive your coming one day. We praise you, God, for these good things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.